0: All right. Well, here we are on another Monday morning. Um about to dive into the very end practically of our book. We have on the second to the last chapter here. Um, last time we found out there was a big twist and Edward is not married and Lucy Steele is not mar- going to be, you know, his his wife, instead she's his sister-in-law and married his brother much to everybody's surprise, so um, I'm sure Mrs. Ferrers can't be too pleased about that, but we'll go ahead and see how that all shakes out, and um, I don't think there are any chapter notes otherwise, so I think we'll just forge on ahead. Chapter, oh lord, x three, thirteen. I, I knew I'd get there eventually, you had faith in me, right? Countable, however, as the circumstance of his release might appear to the whole family, it was certain that Edward was free, and to what purpose that freedom would be employed was easily predetermined by all. For after experiencing the blessings of one imprudent engagement contracted without his mother's consent, as he had already done for more than four years, nothing less could be expected of him in the failure of that than an immediate contraction of another. His errand at Barton, in fact, was a simple one, it was only to ask Eleanor to marry him, and considering that he was not altogether inexperienced in such a question, it might be strange that he should feel so uncomfortable in the present case as he really did, so much in need of encouragement and fresh air. How soon he had walked himself into the proper re- resolution, however, how soon the opportunity of exercising it occurred, in what manner he expressed himself, and how he was received, need not be particularly told. This only need to be said when they all sat down to the table at four o'clock, about three hours after his arrival. He had secured his lady, engaged her mother's consent, and was not only in the rapturous profession of a lover, but the reality of reason's truth, one of happy, the happiest of men. His situation indeed was more than commonly joyful. He had the ordinary triumph of an accepted love to swell his heart, raise his spirits. He was released without any reproach from to himself from an antique. Engagement, which had long formed his misery, from a woman whom he had long ceased to love, and elevated at once to the security with another, which he might have thought of almost with despair as soon as he had learned to consider it with desire. He was brought not from doubt nor from suspense, but from misery to happiness, and the change was only spoken in such genuine flowing, grateful cheerfulness as his friends had never witnessed in him before. His heart was now open to Eleanor, all its weaknesses, all its errors, confessed, and its first boyish attachment to Lucy treated with all the philosophic dignity of twenty-four. "'It was a foolish, idle inclination on my side,' said he, "'the consequence of the ignorance of the world and want of employment. Had my mother given me some active profession when I was removed from eighteen in the care of Mr. Pratt, nay, I am sure that it would never have happened.' For uh, though I left Longstaple with what I thought at the time a most unconquerable preference for his niece, yet then had I any pursuit, any object to engage my time, it would have kept me at a distance from her for a few months. I should very soon have outgrown the fancied attachment, especially by mixing more with the world, as such a case I might have done. But instead of having anything to do, instead of having any profession chosen for me, or being allowed to choose any myself, I returned home afterwards to be completely idle and for the first twelve months afterwards I had not even the nominal employment, which had belonged to the university, would have given me. For I was not entered till Oxford till I was nineteen. I therefore had nothing in the world to do but to fancy myself in love. And as my mother did not make my home in every respect comfortable, as I had no friend, no companion in my brother, and disliked new acquaintance, it was was not unnatural for me to be very often at Longstaple, where I always felt myself at home, and was always sure of a welcome. Accordingly, I spent the greatest part of that time there from eighteen to nineteen. Lucy appeared almost everything that was amiable and obliging. She was pretty, too, at least so I thought then. I had seen so little of other women, that I could make no comparisons, see no defects. Consider everything, therefore, I hope, foolish as our engagement was foolish as it has been since every way proved, it was not at a time unnatural or an inexcusable piece of folly. The change in which a few hours had wrought in the minds and happiness of the Dashwood was, was such, so great as promised them all the satisfaction of a sleepless night. Mrs. Dashwood, too, had to be happy too happy to be comfortable, knew not how to love Edward or praise Eleanor enough, or not how to be thankful for his relief without wound release, without wounding his delicacy, nor at once how to give them leisure for unrestrained conversation together, and yet, as she wished, the sight and society of both. Marianne could speak her happiness only by tears. Comparisons would occur, regrets would arise, and her joy, though sincere as love for her sister, was of the kind to give her neither spirits nor language. But Eleanor, how are her feelings to be described? From the moment of learning that Lucy was to be married to another, that Edward was free, from the moment of his justifying the hopes which had so instantly followed, she was everything by turns but tranquil. But when the second moment had passed, when she found every doubt, every solicitude removed, and compared her situation with what it had so lately been, she saw him honourably released from his former engagement, and saw him instantly profiting by the release, to address herself and declare his affection as tender, as constant, as she had ever supposed it to be. She was oppressed, she was overcome by her own felicity, and happy disposed as the human mind to be easy, familiarized with any change for the better. It required several hours to give her sedateness to her spirits or any degree of tranquillity to her heart. Edward was now fixed at the cottage for at least a week, for whatever claims might be made on him, it was impossible that less than a week should be given up to the enjoyment of Eleanor's company. Or suffice to say that half of what was said of the past, the present, and the future, though for a very few hours spent in the hard labour of incessant talking, will dispatch more subjects than can really be in common between two rational creatures. Yet with lovers it is different. Between them no subject is finished, no communication even made, till it has been made at least twenty times over. Lucy's marriage, the unceasing and reasonable wonder amongst them all, formed, of course, one of the earliest discussions of the lovers, and Eleanor's particular knowledge of each party made it appear to her in every view as the most extraordinary and unaccountable circumstances she had ever heard, how they could be thrown together, and by what attraction Robert could be drawn to marry a girl whose beauty she had herself heard him speak without any admiration, a girl already engaged, too, by his own brother and on whose account that brother had been thrown off by his family. It was beyond her comprehension to make out. To her own heart it was a delightful affair, but to her imagination it was even a ridiculous one, but her reason, her judgment, it was a complete puzzle. Edward could only attempt an explanation by supposing that perhaps, at first accidentally meeting, the vanity of the one had been so worked on by the flattery of the other as to lead by degrees to the rest— Eleanor remembered what Robert had told her in Harley Street of his opinion of what his own mediation in his brother's affairs might have done, if applied in time. She repeated it to Edward. That sounds exactly like Robert, was his immediate observation, and that, he presently added, might perhaps be in his head when the acquaintance between them first began, and Lucy perhaps at first thinking only procuring his good offices in my favour. Other designs might have afterwards arise. How long had it been carrying between them, however, he was equally at a loss as herself to make out. For at Oxford, where he had remained by choice ever since his quitting London, he had had no means of hearing from her but from her himself, and his letters to the very last were neither less frequent, and her letters to the very last were neither less frequent nor less affectionate than usual. Not the smallest suspicion, therefore, had ever occurred to him to prepare him for what followed, and when at last it burst in on him that the letter from Lucy herself, he had been for some time, he believed, half stupefied between wonder and horror, and the joy of such a deliverance. He put the letter into Eleanor's hands. Dear Sir, be very sure that I have long lost your affections. I have thought myself at—let me start over. "'Dear Sir, being very sure I have long lost your affections, I have thought myself at liberty to bestow my own on another, and have no doubt of being happy with him as I once used to think I would be with you. But I scorn to accept the hand while the heart is another's. Sincerely, I wish you happy in your choice, and it shall not be my fault if we are not always good friends, as our near relationship now makes proper.' I can safely say I owe you no ill-will, and I am sure you will be too generous to do us any ill offices. Your brother has gained my affections entirely, and as we could not live without one another, we were just returned from the altar and are now on our way to dollage for a few weeks, which place your dear brother has a place which your dear brother has a great curiosity to see. But I thought I would first trouble you with these few lines and shall always remain your sincere well-wisher, friend and sister. Lucy Ferrers. P.S. I have burnt all your letters and will return your picture with the first opportunity. Please destroy my scrawls, but the ring with my hair you are very welcome to keep. Eleanor read it and returned it without any comment. I will not ask your opinion as it to its composition," said Edward. "For di- worlds I could not have, for worlds I would not have had a letter of hers seen by you in former days." In a sister it is bad enough, but in a wife, how I have blushed over the pages of her writing. But I believe, I may say, since that first half-year of our foolish business, this is the only letter I have received from her of which the substance has made me any amends for the defect of the style. However it may come about, said Eleanor after a pause, they are certainly married, and your mother has been brought on herself a most appropriate punishment. The independence she settled on Robert, the— through resentment to you, has put in his power to make his own choice. She has actually been bribing one son, with a thousand a year, to do the very deed which she disinherited the other for intending to do. She will hardly be less hurt, I suppose, by Robert's marrying Lucy, than she would have been by your marrying her. She will be more hurt by it, for Robert was always her favorite. She will be more hurt by it, on the same principle, which will forgive him much sooner. In what state of affairs, stood present between them edward knew not for no communication with any of his family had yet been attempted by him he had quitted oxford within four-and-twenty hours after lucy's letter arrived when with only one object before him the nearest road to barton and had no leisure to form any scheme of conduct which that road did not hold the most intimate connection he could do nothing till he were assured of his fate with Miss Dashwood, and his rapidity in seeking that fate, it is to be supposed, in spite of the jealousy which he had once thought Colonel Brandon, in spite of the modesty which he had ratted off his own deserts, and the politeness which he talked of his doubts, he did not, upon the whole, expect a very cruel reception. It was his business, however, to say that he did, and he said it at very prettily, what he might say on the subject to 12 months after must be referred to the imaginations of husbands and wives. Which I think is very funny. She always has this funny way of talking about, you know, once they become lovers, she very has very little much for them to say because she thinks lovers talk nothing but nonsense. And I guess she just doesn't like writing it. Um, so it's kind of, it's funny, um, and I, but I do like that because that is a very true thing that, you know, he said, oh, no, I, Ooh, book a yawn, sorry. Um, oh, no, I didn't know you'd say yes. Oh, I just hoped, I yearned for that. Oh, You know, but she then says, you know, 12 months later, who knows what he's going to say. You know, husbands and wives will be able to tell you, you know, that that sort of fawning sweet romance kind of goes away. That was kind of funny. Okay, anyway. That Lucy had certainly meant to deceive, to go off with a flourish of malice against him by her sending her message by Thomas, was perfectly clear to Eleanor, and Edward himself, though now thoroughly enlightened to her character, had no scruple in believing her capable of the utmost meanness of a wanton ill ill nature. Though his eyes had been long opened, even before his acquaintance with Eleanor began, to her ignorance and her want of liberality in some of her opinions— They had been equally impugned by him to her want of education, and till her last letter reached him, he had always believed her to be a well-disposed, good-hearted girl, thoroughly attached to himself. Nothing but such a persuasion could have prevented his putting an end to the engagement, which, long before the discovery, laid him open to his mother's anger, and had been a continual source of disquiet and regret to him. "'I thought it my duty,' said he, "'independent of my feelings, to give her the—' option of continuing the engagement or not, when I was renounced to my mother, stood all appearance without a friend in the world to assist me. In such a situation as that, there seemed to be nothing to tempt the vanity of any living creature. How could I suppose, when she so earnestly, so warmly insisted on sharing my fate, whatever it might be, that anything but the most disinterested affection was ever her inducement?' and even now I cannot comprehend on what motive she acted, or what she fancied it could be to her to be fettered to a man whom she had not the smallest regard, and had only two thousand pounds in the world. She could not foresee that Colonel Brandon would give me a living. No, but she might suppose that something would occur in your favor, and that your own family and time might relent, and that at any rate she lost nothing but continuing the engagement, for she has proved that it fettered neither her inclinations nor her actions— The connection was certainly a respectable one, and probably gained her considerations amongst her friends, and if nothing more advantageous occurred, it would be far better to marry you than to be single. Edward was, of course, immediately convinced that nothing could have been more natural than Lucy's conduct, nor more self-evident in the motive of it. Eleanor scolded him harshly, as ladies always scold the imprudence which they compliment themselves. for having spent so much time with them at Norland, but he must have felt his own consistency. "'Your behaviour was certainly very wrong,' said she, "'because, to say nothing of my own conviction, "'our relations were all led away to fancy of what— "'and expect what, as you were then situated, could never be.' "'He could only plead in ignorance of his own heart "'and a mistaken confidence in the force of his engagement. "'I was simple enough to think that, "'because my faith was plighted to another, "'there could be no danger in my being with you, "'and the consciousness of my engagement "'was to keep my heart as safe and sacred as my honour. I felt I admired you, but I told myself it was only friendship. I began to and till I began to make comparisons between yourself and Lucy. I did not know how far as I got. After that I suppose I was wrong in remaining so much in Sussex, and the arguments with which I recollected myself to the expediency of it were no better than these. The danger is my own. What I am doing is no injury to anybody but myself. Eleanor smiled and shook her head. Edward heard with pleasure of Colonel Brandon's being expected at the cottage, as he really wished not only to be better acquainted with him, but to have the opportunity of convincing him that he no longer resented him giving him the living of Delford. Which, at present, said he, after thanks so ungraciously delivered as mine were on the occasion, he must think I have never forgiven him for the offering. So he's saying there that he originally thanked Colonel Brandon a little ungraciously, Because he thought Brandon was doing it because he was engaged to Eleanor. And it was a favor through Eleanor. And so he was probably not his most polite Edward self. And I think that's kind of adorable. Oh, damn. Here we go. Now he felt astonished that he had never yet been to the place. But so little interest had been taken in the matter that he owed it all of his knowledge of the house, the garden, the... Glebe? Oh, there was a chapter note! Glebe, uh, which is the lands belonging to a clergyman. Uh, So clergymen were allowed some small amount of pasture land for their own uses without paying a tax on it. And, um, yeah. The extent of the parish, the condition of the land, the rate of the ties to Eleanor herself which had heard so much of it from Colonel Brandon and had heard it with so much attention as to be entirely mistress of the subject. One question after this only remained undecided between them, one difficulty only was to be overcome. They were brought together by mutual affection, and with the warmest approbation of her real friends, their intimate knowledge of each other seemed to make their happiness certain, and they only wanted something to live upon. Edward had two thousand pounds, and Eleanor one, which, with Delaford living, was all they could... "'with all that they could call their own, "'for it was impossible that Mrs. Dashwood "'should advance anything, "'and they were neither of them quite enough in love "'to think that three hundred and fifty pounds a year "'would supply them with the comforts of life. "'Edward was not entirely without hopes "'of some favourable change in his mother's towards him, "'and on that he rested the idea "'for the residue of their income, "'but Eleanor had no such dependence, "'for, since Edward would still be unable "'to marry Miss Morton, and his choosing herself, had been spoken of in Mrs. Ferris's flattering language as only a lesser evil than his choosing Lucy Steele, she feared that Robert's offence would serve no other purpose than to enrich Fanny. About four days after Edward's arrival, Colonel Brandon appeared to com- complete Mrs. Dashwood's satisfaction and to give her the dignity of having, for the first time since her living at Barton, more company than her house would hold. Edward was allowed to retain the privilege of the first comer and Colonel Brandon therefore walked every night between his old quarters at the park, from whence he usually returned in the morning early enough to interrupt the first lover's tête-à-tête before breakfast. A 3 weeks' residence at Delaford, where, in his evening hours at least, he had little to do but calculate, the disappropriation between thirty-six and seventeen, brought him to Barton in a temper of mind which needed all the improvement of Marianne's looks and all the kindness of her welcome, and the encouragement of her mother's language, to make it cheerful. Amongst such friends, however, in flattery, he did revive. No rumor of Lucy's marriage had yet reached him, he knew nothing of what had passed, and the first hours of his visit were consequently spent hearing and wondering. Everything was explained to him by Mrs. Dashwood, and he found fresh reason to rejoice in what he had done for Mr. Ferrars, since it eventually promoted the interest of Eleanor." It would be needless to say that the gentlemen advanced in the good opinion of each other, and that they advanced in each other's acquaintance, where it could not be otherwise. Their resemblance in good principles, good sense, a disposition, and manner of thinking would probably have been sufficient to unite them in friendship without any other attraction, but their being in love and t- with two sisters, two sisters fond of each other, made that mutual regard inevitable and immediate, which might have otherwise have waited to the effect of time and judgment. The letters for town which from town which for a few days before would have made everybody's nerve in El- which would have made every nerve in Eleanor's body trill with transport now arrived to be read with less emotion than birth Mrs Jennings wrote to tell the wonderful tale to vent her honest indignation against jilting gr- the jilting girl and to pour forth her compassion towards poor Mr Edward Who she was sure had quite doted upon the worthless hussy and think now by all accounts almost broken-hearted at oxford i do now think she continued nothing has been carried on so sly for it was but two days before that lucy sat in a couple of hours with me not a soul suspected anything of the matter not even nancy who poor soul came to me the day after in a great fear of fright for mrs ferris as well of not knowing how to get to plymouth but Lucy seems to have borrowed all her money before she went off. On purpose... Per- uh, before she went off to be married. On purpose, we supposed to make a show with, and poor Nancy had not seven shillings in the world. I was very glad to give her five guineas and take her down to Exeter, where she thinks of staying three or four weeks with Mrs. Burgess in hopes, as I tell her, not to fall in with a doctor again. I must say that Lucy's crossness not to... You know, all along together within the chase is worse than all. Poor Mr. Edward, I cannot get him out of my head, but you must send for him to Barton. Miss Marianne must try to comfort him." (coughs) Uh, So apparently Lucy not only got married, but she stole all of her sister's money and went off and got married. So now her sister was staying at these lodgings, with no money, had no way of leaving town, or probably settling their bill. Ah That is awful! Awful! Anyway. <coughs> Mrs. Dashwood's strains were more solemn. Excuse me. Mr. Dashwood's strains were more solemn. Mrs. Ferris was the most unfortunate of women, and poor Fanny suffered agonies of sensibility, which he considered the existence of each under such a blow with a grateful wonder. Robert's offence was unpardonable, but Lucy's was infinitely worse. Neither of them was ever again to be mentioned to Mrs. Ferrars, and even, if she might hereafter be induced to forgive her son, his wife should never be acknowledged as her daughter, nor permitted to appear in her presence. The secrecy, with which everything had been carried on between them, was rationally treated as enormously heightening the crime, because, had any suspicion of it occurred to the others, proper measures would have been taken to prevent the marriage and had he called on Eleanor to join with him in regretting that Lucy's engagement with Edward had not been rather fulfilled that she should by thus means of spreading the misery further in the family. he thus continued, Mr. Ferris has never Mrs. Ferris has never yet mentioned Edward's name, which does not surprise us, but to our great astonishment, not a line has been received by him on the occasion. Perhaps, however, he has been kept silent for his fear of offending, and I shall therefore give him a hint by a line to Oxford, that his sister and I both think a letter of proper submission from him, addressed perhaps to Fanny, and shown to her mother, might not be amiss, for we all know the tenderness of Mrs. Ferrars' heart, and she wishes nothing so much as to be on good terms with her children. This paragraph was of some importance to the prospects of conduct of, conduct of Edward, It determined him to attempt a reconciliation, though not exactly in the manner pointed out by brother and sister. "'A letter of proper submission,' repeated he. "'Would they have me beg my mother's pardon for Robert's ingratitude to her, and breach of honour to me? I can make no submission. I am grown neither humble nor penitent by what is past. I am grown very happy, but that is not of interest.' "'I know of no submission that is proper for me to make.' "'You may certainly ask to be forgiven,' said Eleanor, "'because you have offended, "'and I think you might now venture so far as to profess some concern "'for ever having formed the engagement which drew you on your mother's anger.' "'He agreed that he might. "'And when she has forgiven you, perhaps a little humility may be convenient "'while acknowledging a second engagement almost as imprudent in her eyes as the first. He had nothing to urge against it, but still resisted the idea of a letter of proper submission. Therefore, to make it easy for him, he declared a much greater willingness by means of concession of word of mouth than to go on paper. It was resolved that, instead of writing to Fanny, he should go to London, and personally entreat her good offices in his favour. "'And if they really do interest themselves,' said Marianne, in her new character of candour, "'in bringing about a reconciliation.' I shall think even John and Fanny are not without entirely without merit. After a visit on Colonel Brandon's side of only three or four days, and the two gentlemen quit Barton together, they were to go immediately to Delaford, and Edward might have some personal knowledge of his future home, and assist his patron and friend in deciding on what improvements were needed to it, and from thence, after staying a couple of nights, he was to proceed on his journey to town. End Chapter Thirteen All right, well, wow, wow, wow. So, Lucy, (laughs) she broke off her engagement with another man after she was married to someone else. Oh my god, this girl is worse than any of us expected. That is just crazy. Um, But, you know, it's one of those things that, well, he's free now, I guess, is kind of the takeaway from that. Um, it was sweet, you know, how he, uh, Edward and Colonel Brandon became such good friends because they're in love with a pair of sisters, and I think that's all so sweet. Um, I think a reconciliation is a very good idea because it, they really, they need some more money to be able to live on. Um. We've talked about the three, um, ladies have been able to live on about 500 a year and it's been a little lean, but they've been able to do it. Um, but yeah, that's 350 is, is much tighter and presumably, you know, back in the day, they're going to have a slew of babies before they know what to do with. And yeah, anyway, sorry, i making a juice for myself to drink. I'm sure it's noisy. But, you know, on the other hand, I think that Mrs. Ferris just she never really seemed to have liked Edward. So I doubt she's gonna like Edward said, I doubt she's gonna totally just, like, take it all back and be good to him, you know, just because he didn't marry Lucy. Because he did go ahead and do something she didn't want him to do anyway. So I, yeah, uh. We'll see how it all goes down, but, um, so now we have Eleanor all happy and overburdened by her own felicity, which I think is a hilarious thing, um, I don't know, (laughs) that just sounds, I mean, I could see it happening, but it sounds funny, um, but now we just have to get Marianne all settled away, um, and see how we can do that. What are you guys feeling? What are you guys thinking? Uh, um, one of the major criticisms of sense and sensibility is the sudden engagement of Lucy and the freeing of Edward here at the end that it doesn't seem to have been set up well. That some people complain that it um it felt way too much like, you know, you know, moving magic that all of a sudden, oh, well we figured that out and that works now and that it wasn't um plotted well I uh I definitely think that given the limited points of view it would have been really hard to plot it any better um you know from a writing perspective it could have been it would have been a lot harder to plot it differently uh, uh there could have been more foreshadowing about it but I think in general we knew Lucy's character really well like I'm not surprised at all by this turn of the turn that happened here um, but I do think that it could have been plotted better specifically Robert's reaction to Lucy and stuff like that I think that could have been plotted a little more clearly um, do you guys feel like it was just you know a, a wand being waved and suddenly it works for Edward or did you feel that it was plotted well um, I don't know I, I I like it. I, I think it was done pretty well as as well as can be. I'm, those kind of things do happen like that, though, that like sometimes the more outlandish it is, the more close to reality it is, because reality sometimes does seem very bizarre and sudden and unexpected, so. Anyway, those are just my thoughts for this chapter. We have one chapter left, and we'll go ahead and do that tomorrow. I'm super excited. Hope you are all, too, and... I'll talk to you then.